You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Well, it is a privilege for me to uh, be here um, today. I wasn't expecting it to be like this, but then neither were you. And uh, so today I want us to dive into the book of Philippians. And so if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 1. And we are going to take a look at a message that I've entitled Grounded in that we are in it together. We are in it together. Um, in it together is a term I've heard a fair bit lately. I've heard it used with uh, the pandemic. I've heard politicians tell us like, hang in there, we're in it together. Um, it gets used in other ways. Maybe a family's going on a vacation and, and they're going on a journey and they're going to try something new and dad's like, it's okay because we're in it together. Um, or sports teams as they are uh, getting ready for their, their games and they're practicing and their, their team, we're in it together. Um, maybe it's at work and uh, you've got big goals for what's coming and in the midst of all the transitions, you still have this sense of we are in it together. Um, well, all of that's true, but it's even more true for the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we don't operate as an island. We are in it together. That's the way God designed for the church to work. That's the way that he designed it for us, that we would be in it together. And so I want us to take a look at what Paul wrote to this church at Philippi and what he had to say to them. The church was established during Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, you'll find it in the book of Acts in chapter 16. Um, Probably he's writing to them, though, this letter from Rome. He's probably in prison or at least under house arrest. It's about AD 60. It's towards the end of his life, towards the end of his ministry. And he writes a number of these letters to the church. He writes to Ephesus, he writes to Colossae, and he writes to the church at, at Philippi. Um, this letter is a, a general letter, all kinds of different things that he talks to them about. Um, he kind of gives them a sense of how things are going for him. And he also talks about some division that there is in the church and some negative teaching. He commends Timothy to them and Epaphroditus and a health report for him. He takes time to thank the church. If This is a little bit like a donor's letter. This church had stood with him and, and supported him in what he was doing. And so all of those things are going on as he uh, writes this letter. But he writes a letter to a church that he cared for a lot. And, and as I studied through uh, Philippians chapter 1, the thing that just struck me is that we're not alone. We're in this together. And so I'm going to read to you from Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 1, uh, down to the end of verse 18, and then we will pick out some things that I believe will be instructive for us as the church. Uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart 
For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it may become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And the most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ with envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking, thinking um, to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we <clears throat> thank you for this passage. We thank you for the passion that Paul had for this church. And we pray, Lord, in difficult days, in days when we didn't see things rolling out the way they are, that, Lord, we would come back to you, that you are the holy God. You are the one who is in control. Would we learn some things from him today as, as he wrote this letter from a prison? He was in a difficult place, and yet he was still trusting you. He was still hoping in you. He was still believing that, God, you were working all things together for your good and so as we look at this text today, would you encourage our hearts? Would God truly, would you be our strength? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want us to take a look at seven words or uh, seven marks today of being in it together. As the church of Jesus Christ, how do we serve together? What are the kinds of things that would mark our lives that would say, we are a church that's in it together. We're coming to the end of a year. We're going to the beginning of a new year. Uh, how do we move forward? I'm so thankful in the opportunities I've had to come here and be here and, and see in difficult times the church uh, coming together and seeing you worship together and seeing you love the Lord together. And is everybody on the same page exactly? Is everybody singing from the same songbook all the time? No, but we have this. We have a unity in Jesus Christ. And so as we have those things, what are the things that demonstrate that we are in it together? And so here's the first thing. A church that's in it together is a church that's filled with thanksgiving. But look at verses 3 and 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I remember using this verse when uh, Sue and I were dating. I thought like a very romantic verse, right? I thank my God upon all of my remembrance of you. Totally out of context, totally not what it was talking about, but it sounded really good when you're writing a letter to your girlfriend, right? So um, um, Paul is writing it in a whole different context. He's thinking about this church. He's thinking about what God has done. He's thinking about the way he works. And as he sits in prison and he thinks about them, he just goes back. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. 
And, and so as he is going through his routine of every day and remembering what God is doing, it says, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. The thought of what God had done in their lives, the thought of the way that God had worked brought him to thanksgiving, but brought him to a place of joyfulness, a place of satisfaction, a place of great hope because of what God has done. As, as you think about your church, you think about what God is doing and how he is working. Does it bring joy to you? Even when it's difficult. Hey, this guy's in prison. He doesn't even really know if they'll ever get this letter, doesn't know if they'll ever read it, doesn't know the impact it would have. He certainly didn't know that we would be reading it 2,000 years later and still being blessed by it and still being stirred by it. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you and I fill my prayers with joy. I love this little definition of joy. Joy is the supernatural delight in the person, the purposes, and the people of God. That's what joy is. Joy is not a feeling of happy, happy, happy. A joy is a supernatural delight. It's a choice in the person of God, in the purposes of God, and in the people of God. Hey, church, are you filled with joy today? Are your churches filled with thanksgiving today? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That's the first thing he says. Here's a, another mark of being in it together, and that's what we are a team. We are a team. Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's like doing life together. This is the idea of fellowship. A fellowship is not getting together and talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Or the, that's not fellowship. Fellowship's not getting together and, and talking about the weather. You can talk about the weather. But fellowship's not getting together, talk about the meal you have. It's not like taking a picture and sharing it on Facebook. That's not what fellowship is. Fellowship is when we do life together. Fellowship is when we are in partnership in the gospel. Fellowship is when we talk about the things of the Lord and build each other up and stir each other up and move each other on to a love and good deeds. You see, the Christian life is not to be lived in isolation. That's what makes these days so difficult because the Christian life is designed that we would be together. And so you, see, you need to, in the midst of difficult circumstances right now, figure out how you can do that by contacting each other and praying for each other and encouraging one another. And the Christian life is not to be lived in isolation. Um, the church is to live together and we consider how we spur one another on. And I'm thankful that we are together as a team. The church is not determined by one person doing all the work. It's for your partnership in the gospel. For your partnership in the gospel. And so he's talking about it from the context of how they had supported them and him and how he had been encouraged by them and the partnership they had. But the picture that he has for them is this is how we do it together. Um, coming into this building today, like 10 of us in the whole building is a little bit weird for sure. Um, but the partnership in the gospel, watching the worship team as they prepared and as they served together, watching the tech team as they try and put it all together so it can go out to you in a way that um, honors the Lord and, and seeing how this is a partnership. It's a partnership together. The church isn't determined by one person. He's thankful for their partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. Um, Paul was rejoicing. Paul was encouraged. 
in what God was doing. And, and the church is a church where we, we do things as a team. We do things together. I am so thankful that the church is not determined and um, its existence and its hope is determined by the elders or by the staff or it's all of us, each of us, all the parts working together for the glory of God. A church that's in it together is a church that's a team. Here's the third thing. A church that's in it together is a church that's filled with tender compassion. Look at verses six and seven. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. It's right for me. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Um, the foundation for spiritual growth is recognizing that it is God who began a good work in you and it is he who will bring it to completion. You know, it's not lost on me, even as an outsider coming in, that this is a, um, a difficult weekend with a David and Kayla and they're moving on to a new thing that God is doing in their lives. And uh, I was telling David... Um, you know, I, I always with my staff, if the Lord's moving you on to something, then I need to cheerlead that. I need to be about, this is what God's called you to do. We need to, be, we need to be his and their greatest cheerleaders right now because for him to stay would be wrong, right? God's moving him. God's doing a new thing. But then my mind goes to this verse. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And they're moving on to a new thing and God is going to use them and, and we need to rejoice in that. But I, I also notice in that he who began a good work in you. Uh, my understanding when they came here, they, they weren't married yet or they were just getting married. At least when you were uh, coming, he's sitting right here. I can actually see him in the room. And, and God was doing this work and from the beginning until this completion, um, but now there's a new part for them, and then there'll be an ultimate completion when we'll all be together in heaven rejoicing at what God is doing and how cool it is that God works in that. And Paul is filled with tender compassion for the people that he is writing to. And uh, you need to lift this couple up. You need to encourage them. You need to be thankful for them. And, and you need to realize that as God directs, for them to stay would be the biggest mistake in their lives, a mistake for them, a mistake for you. And in his heart, a man makes his plans, Proverbs says, but God orders our steps. Not necessarily the way we would write it, but the way in God's perfect will, he will write it. Your new pastor, God knows who he is. The new worship director, God knows who that is. And we need to pray for those things and trust the Lord for those things, but rejoice in what God is going to do in those things. What he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Um, but I love the idea of, of Paul talks here, but we see his compassion. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers with me of grace, both of my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. God, help us to have a passion for his church, a passion for this church that's like that, that lifts up the gospel of Jesus Christ, lifts up the teaching of the church, lifts up the desire to worship and be together and grow together in fellowship. God, give us a tender, a tender compassion. 
You'll notice all of these are T words. Uh, here's the next one. In it together, I wrote the word treasure in verses 8 to 11. Verses 8 to 11 say, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Can you even come close to treasuring the relationships, to treasuring the church, to treasuring this passion like Paul had. Um, he said, it is my prayer that you may abound in love more and more. We, we don't ever arrive in this. This is a thing that keeps on growing. This is a, a thing that keeps on developing in our lives as we serve the Lord. We learn to love him more. As we serve one another, we learn to love them more with all knowledge and discernment, um, says that you may be pure and blameless, pure and blameless in the way that we love. I'm, I love not looking for what I can get. I love not looking for what I can receive. That's the kind of love Paul signed. There's agape love that gives, not expecting in return. Um, and that, that it may be pure and blameless. That word pure uh, means to be sincere. It means to be sincere. It's, it's a picture of being tested under the light. You, you shine the light on it so that you can test it um, and so that our love for each other would be tested and it would be blameless. That means without offense, uh, no finger pointing, um, that you may be pure and blameless. Why? For the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that comes through Jesus Christ. Anything we will ever do that will bear the fruit of righteousness, we do it because we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. If we do it in our own name, if we do it in our own hope, if we do it with our own desires, it will not be the fruit of righteousness. But the fruit of righteousness will come when we do it in the name of Christ. It comes through Jesus Christ. It becomes because of the redemptive work in our lives. And it'll be done for the praise and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul treasured these things with these people. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more and more. Hey, church, do you treasure? Do you treasure what you have? Do you desire to serve the Lord more and more with your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, not looking for what you can get or what you can receive, but looking only for his glory in what you do? Treasure. Here's another one. We're in it together when we are trusting. We're in it together when we are trusting. Look at verses 12 to 13. I, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance, advance the gospel so that it may become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I don't know about you. I've never had to go to prison. I've never had to suffer for Christ like that. Um, but I hear Paul and I hear what he's saying and there were times when he felt alone and there were times when he didn't know what was going to be next and I just watch him here and I see him trusting, trusting. I want you to know, brothers, listen, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, if I could just have my agenda and do the things I wanted, like, that's how the gospel would be advanced. Not by sitting in a prison cell, not by being chained sometimes to Roman guards, and yet, and yet his testimony was going out way beyond what he ever imagined. As I already said, he sat in prison and he wrote these books not understanding who they would get to really, how they would get there, and what impact they would have. As he's writing this book, he's not understanding. He's writing scripture that would be used to change my life and change your life 2,000 years later. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. See, we tend to look at hard times and go, oh, I guess God's left us. I guess it's not working out the way it's supposed to work out. I guess it's not as it should be. And and God has a whole different plan that's going on, a whole different working that's going on that we don't see and we don't understand. And God is working. At the church in Markham, we had our Christmas Eve services, as you guys had services, but we were already in lockdown. Right? So, so we couldn't do, we couldn't have people in the room. It was kind of like this for us. And, uh, but I got a, a letter from one of the guys on the worship team who told me about some friends that he had invited to come and watch our service. Um, people in the U.S., people in Australia, people in, and I'm like, wasn't thinking God was going to use a service like that. Wasn't thinking God was going to work like that. Um, we have to trust God. We have to trust God. It says you've served to advance the gospel. You've served to advance the gospel. Uh, these verses that we are hearing here and, and verses like Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that nobody could boast. And Paul lays out the gospel plan in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he has made you alive in Christ Jesus. And the working of God bringing us from death to life. And how do we get that? We receive that by faith. Like, this is going out around the world beyond what he ever imagined that God was working to for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, if you're watching today, I have to ask you, have, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? This in it together is not for people to come and play church together. It's for people who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. You've transferred your trust from yourself and put your hope in Jesus Christ. It's, it's coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I am. I am that sinner. I was dead. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. And yet Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ paid the price. And all I have to do is receive the gift that he offered to me. And I will be saved. Accept this fact that you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin and, and you'll be saved. You'll be saved. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. It's an amazing gift that comes from God. The gospel being advanced beyond what he ever, ever imagined, which leads to the next word, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. When when your life is changed, the word is you are transformed or transformation. Um, Having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. 
Uh, these people who are, are getting these seeds, these people who are hearing the stories of Paul, they're like, oh my goodness, like, look what the Lord is doing in his life. Look how he's standing, Lord. Help us to stand like that. Help us to be faithful like that. Help us not to quit when it gets difficult. Help us to keep on keeping on. Help us to keep on being sanctified in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not what I will be, um, but I'm not what I was. And God is working and he is transforming. I love the fact that they said they are, they are more bold. They become bold. They become strong. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They saw that Paul had joy in the midst of severe and hard trials. They saw that God would take care of Paul in such circumstances. And they saw that God would still use Paul even when he was imprisoned. And as they saw that and watched that, they became more bold. They became more confident. And they became the ones who were now preaching the word and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, in your life, in my life, are we being like Paul in these things? Are we, are we demonstrating those things to those we serve with? Maybe as a small group leader to your small group. Maybe, uh, maybe as a, an elder in the church. Or are you leading in the church in such a way that people are more bold about Jesus Christ? Hey, Dad, with your kids. Are you leading your family in such a way that your kids would be more bold about Jesus Christ? Yeah, and moms, that's for you too. Would we be leading our families in such a way that our kids would desire Jesus Christ more than anything else and they would want that life? They would see that in us and they would be going after that. You know, ultimately, ultimately, don't follow us. Paul said, be followers of me even as I am of Christ. So as I demonstrate Christ, you live that out in your life. But here's what happened. It was transformational. The gospel transformed them. When they saw the work in Paul's life, they wanted that in their life, and that's what they went, that's what they went after. Well, you might say, okay, so that was six things. What's the seventh? Here's the seventh. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be tension. It won't always work out like you hoped it would work out. You would think after writing all this stuff, Paul would be like, yeah, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Uh, look at these, these last couple of verses, 16 to 18. Actually, we'll start at 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He just talked about how the gospel was being proclaimed, and now, now he talks about the tension. Now he talks about the struggle. Now he talks about it's not going to be easy. There were those in the church who were literally preaching the gospel as a way to stick it to Paul, as it were. Um, 
I, I shake my head. I can, I can hardly get the gospel out of my mouth to share it with anybody. And, and these people were, were preaching the gospel kind of like, ha, 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 little notch in our, little notch in ours and not in yours, right? And um, you got to imagine this guy's in prison. He can't even really confront them. He can't even really get to them. And, and his attitude is so not what my attitude would be. His attitude is, I, I just don't even care. As long as the gospel is being proclaimed, as long as the gospel is being proclaimed, I'm going to set this all aside, right? These people were on his case. Maybe they uh, dismissed him because he was not a great speaker. His abilities weren't as they thought, or um, maybe they were just tired of Paul's always in prison. He's never available. He can't be here when we want him. Um, uh, Maybe they were jealous of his success, and um, they weren't motivated by love. Uh, They only wanted a desire to harm Paul in some ways. Um, God help us to never be people who serve in such a way that it's like, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm accomplishing. I put it this way. God help us to never be like the others who preach the gospel. Um, and, And then their response and their desire was to see someone hurt or see someone, see themselves look better. He uses, he uses words like selfish ambition. There's nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition is a good thing. I, I would desire to preach with an ambition today. I, I would desire that I would serve with, with a, a good ambition, but not a selfish ambition, not a what can I get out of it, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. That's selfish ambition. And God, and, and, and Paul's like, you don't want to be like that. But there are people who are out there. They're out there and their, their selfishness, their pride, their what I want for the church is more important than what God wants for the church or what I want for the church is more than what godly leadership wants for the church. And, and they have a selfish ambition about them. Um, Paul's attitude went like this. If you preach the true gospel, I don't care what your motives are. If your motives are bad, God will deal with you but at least the gospel will be preached. But if you preach a false gospel, I don't care how good your motives are. You are dangerous and must stop preaching your false gospel and good motives don't excuse your false message. As great as any church can be, as, as good as what God will do, as much as he's serving, as much as we are in it together, there's always going to be difficult times. There's going to be difficult people, there's going to be difficult seasons, there's going to be difficult circumstances, and yet God rises above those things. And Paul's trying to see us, to help us to see how we need to rise above those things and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Keep our eyes fixed on what God is doing. Keep our eyes fixed so that he will get the glory in our lives. Why? Because we are in it together. We are in it together. Well, so what? So what? Seven marks of a church that's in it together is a church that's filled with thanksgiving. God help this church to be a church filled with thanksgiving. I I just heard today three Christmas Eve services filled and and God is working. You You need to rejoice. You need to be thankful. People in the midst of a transition time in your church still seeking you out, wanting to be a part of this church, like, where does that come from? Be thankful. God is at work. 
Be thankful that you are a team. You are not in it by yourself and serve together for the glory of Jesus Christ. Be filled with tender compassion for one another. Treasure what you have. Trust the Lord and see how God works in transforming people. And when it gets hard, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on the gospel. God is at work doing his work in his way for his glory. So what part are you playing in the in it together? It takes us all serving together for the glory and the fame of Jesus Christ. Lead us, God. Strengthen us for the task. Use your church for the fame of your name. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for this text. It, it challenges my own heart. I've I, I, I got to examine my own motives. I've got to examine my own desires. I, and Lord, I pray that when people who come up against us and it's difficult, we will keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ because you've called us to this. So Lord, we thank you that we get to be part of the family of God because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. We, we pray, Lord, that you would just energize us to serve you more with more passion, with more desire, because you are God. You are on the throne. Our eyes need to be fixed on you as we sing this song. The focus is to you, God. Would you be glorified in our lives as we serve you because you are our Savior, you are our King, you are our hope. And we yield ourselves to you in Jesus' name.